the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Calcedon Report number 58, June 1970. War against, quote, the establishment, unquote, is a basic fact of our time. This in itself is a significant fact in that, not too long ago, it was a basic hope of most college youth to become a part of the establishment. In the late 1930s, I recall my first day in a required course, I had long postponed taking. An auditorium was required to accommodate the large enrollment. When the professor entered, there was a round of applause. When he finished his first introductory lecture with some general remarks on the current scene, there was a standing ovation. Even in those days, professors were not usually well received, but this man carried weight with most students. He had, for two years or more, been a fifth echelon, quote, brain truster, unquote, in Franklin Delano Roosevelt's administration. He had the prestige of the powers that be, plus the, quote, independence, unquote, to be critical at points, and as a result, this mild non-entity was a, quote, somebody, unquote, to the students. There are still some lingering echoes of this attitude, but now, on the whole, students are at war with the establishment which represent to them everything which is evil and hateful. The entrenched and established men and institutions of the past and the present, for these rebels, the establishment is the state, the church, and the school. It is the family and their parents. It is the world of the police and the law, of professors and parents, of the military forces and everything which seeks to perpetuate the present order. Students are not alone in being anti-establishment. Many radical groups, as well as conservative organizations, are, each from their own perspective, anti-establishment. More than that, many members of the hated establishment seek favor from the mob by taking an anti-establishment stance. Some politicians succeed momentarily, as do some professors and clergymen, as long as they run with the mob. Many only gain contempt for their efforts. Thus, when a mob of students, some 2,000, quote, liberated, unquote, the faculty club at a Canadian university, seizing liquor and money and celebrating with various antics, the head of the faculty club, according to Jerry Rubin, quote, tried to co-op the orgy. He stood on top of a chair and thanked everyone for coming, unquote. The reasons for this deeply rooted hatred of the establishment deserve attention. Only a few aspects can be touched on. First, 
A dramatic aspect of this protest is the increasing involvement of the U.S. in Southeast Asia. Protests range from the total hostility of the radical left to the, quote, win and get out, unquote, stand of many conservatives. There are good grounds for the protest. The U.S. Constitution does not permit the use of drafted men in wars outside the boundaries of the U.S. The Spanish-American War and the Pershing Campaign against Villa were fought with volunteers and a professional army. Two world wars, the Korean War and now the Vietnam-Cambodian War, have been waged in violation of the Constitution. Moreover, the war is fought in a strange way. Perhaps more harm has been done to the cause of our allies than to our communist enemies. The distrust and resentment of both right and left have good grounds and much justification. Second, a major target has been, quote, the law, unquote. An example, the courts and the police. The police have been the unhappy targets of much of this, although the basic resentment is against the, quote, system, unquote. The radical hostility to the courts is the basic aspect of this protest. This hostility has been apparent in a variety of movements from the conservative, quote, impeach Earl Warren, unquote, movement to the revolutionary antics of the Chicago conspirators when on trial. Again, we must say that there are good reasons for this protest. A study of Chicago, Ovid Damaris's Captive City, 1969, makes clear the connection between organized crime, politics, and the courts. The author is emphatic, as are many other students on the subject, that organized crime cannot exist without a working alliance with politics and the courts. The criminal world today is a part of the establishment, and its power is manifest in the highest places of the country. The radical relativism of the courts is apparent in Supreme Court William O. Douglas's book, Points of Rebellion, 1969, as well as in many other judges' statements. Chief Justice Berger holds to ideas alien to justice. The Chicago Daily News of June 3, 1969 reported that, quote, among the techniques, devices, and mechanisms Berger questioned were the jury system, the presumption that a defendant is innocent until proven guilty, the right of a defendant to remain silent, and putting the burden of proof on the prosecution. Berger suggested that defendants ought to be required to testify in a courtroom. And he said, if we eliminate the jury, we would save a lot of time, unquote. The Review of the News, April 22, 1970, page 23. There is no lack of reason for rage and protest. The courts today do all too often present a spectacle of studied injustice. Third, the church is despised and with reason. Where the church today is not captured by modernistic relativism, it shows instead a pious irrelevance, antinomianism, Phariseeism, and a general immoralism. Consider, for example, the comment of Billy Graham in Hamburg, Germany, as reported by Robert Davis, quote, news briefs, unquote, Chicago Tribune, April 7, 1970, from an interview in Der Spiegel. Graham, quote, refused to discuss communism, although he had once been known as a great foe of that system. For years I have not spoken about that, he said. 
I cannot go around the world and say who is right and who is wrong. Unquote. If a minister is unable to say whether or not communism is morally wrong, who can? If a minister finds no ground to call communism wrong, what ground can he claim to say anything? The church today is so radically irrelevant, whether it represents the modernist or evangelical branches, that it is scarcely worth attacking. But it is a cause for deep grief. Fourth, in every area there is a radical impersonalism. Students have protested against being a mere cipher in the university. They have satirized the computer-like mechanistic operations by wearing badges reading, quote, Do not fold, staple, or mutilate, unquote, because they insist on being persons. A classic example of this impersonalism is Dr. Arnold Hutznecker, a Nixon associate, who proposed that all children between six and eight years of age be tested for possible criminal tendencies. All those whom the test ruled to be potentially criminal should then be subjected to special psychological training. Psychiatrists disowned the plan. Dr. Hutchnecker declared that he was, quote, shocked, unquote, and upset at reactions. Quote, I was bewildered as I could be, unquote. Jack Nelson, quote, ex-Nixon doctor upset over reaction to plan, unquote. Los Angeles Times, Section E, page 1, Sunday, May 3rd, 1970. Well, bless his little pinhead. He plans to play God in the lives of all children, and he fails to understand why people are upset. After all, he said it was merely preventive medicine. This total unawareness that people are persons, not social fodder for the future, is increasingly characteristic of the modern mentality. And establishment planning usually reveals this impersonalism in varying degrees. It would be possible to discuss at great length the various areas of protest, but the foregoing is sufficient for our purposes. The modern establishment is basically humanistic and relativistic. It recognizes no law save man. It despises God's law, and therefore it cannot admit that there is a law order in any realm. Hence, whether in politics, economics, or religion, the modern mentality believes in a do-it-yourself law. Set aside the old laws and write your own in terms of your planning. Having no law to judge by, the establishment pays lip service to man. Thus, when Commissioner Otto N. Larson, a University of Washington professor of sociology and a member of a federal commission, received a pie in the face from Thomas Forcade of the underground press syndicate, Larson did not protest. Quote, what he wanted was outrage. I refuse to engage in physical interaction. I've had classroom confrontations with militants before. I try to engage all kinds of people in serious dialogue. These people have something important to tell us, unquote. Los Angeles Herald Examiner, Thursday, May 14, 1970, page A11. This statement reveals a radical moral bankruptcy. The facade of receptivity covers a radical emptiness. What is the something important to be told? The modern intellectual has no principle of truth, no concept of real transcendence. As a result, he is formally open to everything because all things are equally important but actually open to nothing, 
because nothing is really of value. In consequence, his own will to power is his only truth. The establishment today is radically relativistic. This is the cause of its deep immoralism, its opportunism, and its contempt for all law, economic, constitutional, religious, or otherwise. The forces of student protest, however, are not better and actually worse. The students are the true sons of the establishment. They reflect the relativistic philosophy of state, school, and church. If anything, they apply it more honestly and systematically. The students have simply learned their lessons well. Recently, some rather conservative doctors, when questioned about abortion, responded usually with surprising uniform answers. One said, quote, I don't like it, but who is to say what's right and wrong, unquote. Another declared, quote, I'm personally against it, but who am I to inflict my morality on others, unquote, and so on. We should not be surprised at the results. Relativism today breeds a radical and total lawlessness. An episode was reported to me on one of my trips. During a demonstration and protest march, one hippie marcher stopped to urinate openly and defiantly in the street. Thirty years ago, the reaction would have been swift arrest, public disapproval, and a general feeling that the young man was a, quote, nut, unquote, a mental case. Now it was different. Students quickly and gleefully imitated him. Young men from the, quote, best of families, unquote, took a defiant pride in following suit. They professed that they were symbolically urinating on the establishment, and no doubt they were. But even more, they were demonstrating that a civilization and its discipline had died. To cite another example, a quiet, stable city in 1950 had 22,000 people. A ranking police officer told me that, that it had perhaps 100 adults who were petty, small-time criminals, 300 juveniles who had at some time been in trouble, of whom 150 would probably, as adults, be in and out of trouble. The work of the police was light. Crimes were few and minor, and traffic problems their main concern. By 1970, this same city, now with 27,000, has a major problem. Its juvenile offenders are more than the officer could readily cite, and they are out of hand. Their offenses are all more serious, and drugs and robbery are common problems. The increase of adult irresponsibility in crime is also marked, and the police feel the situation is out of hand. In a major city, an officer stated that the day may not be too far distant when the lawbreakers outnumber the law keepers, and the result will be radical lawlessness and anarchy. Protests against the establishment are justified in that the establishment reveals a moral relativism which is destroying the country. But the protesters themselves in most cases reveal an even more radical relativism themselves. The evil they protest against is most fully present in themselves. As a result, the protests against the establishment are sterile and morally bankrupt. They only compound and aggravate the evils they complain about. The protesters are merely revealing that they are indeed sons of the establishment. This moral bankruptcy is also true of too many conservatives, those who truly believe in the triune God, see His handiwork in all things. They believe that God's absolute decree and law govern every area of life. 
that men either obey God's law word or they are shattered by it. Too many conservatives, many of whom claim to be Christians, are, in reality, Satanists. They see all things controlled by satanic conspirators. Every event is read as the careful development of a satanic plan. They see not God in control, but the powers of darkness. The world for them is governed not by God's law and decree, but by dark and hidden evil conspirators. They fear not God, but these evil powers. Whatever their profession, they are in practice Satanists, Satan worshipers. But the world is only and always governed by God and His law. Progress and reconstruction are only possible under God and His law. The world is not changed by feudal rage nor by protest, but only as men, by the grace of God, reconstruct their lives, their calling, and the world around them in terms of God's law word. It is time to rebuild. Calcedon Report number 59, July 1970. Among the earliest battle lines between the early Christians and the Roman Empire was the matter of abortion. Greek and Roman laws had at times forbidden abortion, even as they had also permitted it. The matter was regarded by these pagan cultures as a question of state policy. If the state wanted births, abortion was a crime against the state. If the state had no desire for the birth of certain children, abortion was either permissible or even required. Because the state represented ultimate order, morality was what the state decreed. To abort or not to abort was thus a question of politics, not of God's law. Plato, for example, held that the state could compel abortion where unapproved parents proceeded without the approval of the state. Very early, the questions accused the heathen of murder, holding that abortion is a violation of God's law. Quote, thou shalt not murder, unquote. It was also a violation of the law of Exodus 21, 22-25, which held that even accidental abortion was a criminal offense. If a woman with child were accidentally aborted, but no harm followed to either mother or child, even then a fine was mandatory. If the fetus dies, then the death penalty was mandatory. Because the law of the Roman Empire did not regard abortion as a crime, the early church imposed a life sentence as a substitute, penance for life, to indicate that it was a capital offense. The Council of Ancra, 314 A.D., while making note of this earlier practice, limited the penance to ten years. There were often reversions to the earlier severity, and for a time, in later years, the administration of any draught for purposes of causing an abortion was punishable by death. The Greek and Roman influence tended to weaken the Christian stand by sophisticating the question, by trying to establish when the child or fetus can be considered a living soul. The biblical law does not raise such questions. At any point, abortion requires the death penalty. Incidentally, the old question as to whether the fetus is, quote, a living soul, unquote, has been given an answer by research according to William P. O'Connell, who declares, quote, many feel that the choice is the woman's. I would agree if it were clear that the fetus is part of the woman and thus hers to dispose of. The evidence, however, is to the contrary. 
Microbiology has established that Zakoti is human and an autonomous, if dependent, organism from conception. Once fertilized, the cell is no longer latent life. It has its full and human allotment of chromosomes. It is uniquely human, like no other living thing or part of a thing, anywhere along the evolutionary chain, unquote. Los Altos, Town Crier, Wednesday, April 22, 1970, page 1. The Diodake, an early Christian document, called all abortion murder and a love of death, whereas Christians are called to a love of God and of life. Wisdom declared of old, quote, All they that hate me love death. Proverbs 8, 36. Here is an important key to the problem of abortion. We shall return to it later. The debate and discussion of the subject of abortion is very extensive today, quite academic and unrelated to reality. Thus, the American Medical News, June 8, 1970, page 7, has an article by Dr. Charles A. Defoe, M.D., entitled, quote, Thoughtful Action Needed to Find Middle Ground on Abortion, unquote. Dr. Defoe is an obstetrician, gynecologist in Denver, and chairman of the Therapeutic Abortion Committee of the Presbyterian Medical Center there. Dr. Defoe wants a, quote, middle ground, unquote, between a total ban on abortion and total permissiveness. Is this possible? Is there a middle ground between murder and the protection of life, between adultery and chastity? The reality of the situation has been reported to me by two doctors as well as by other persons. Supposedly, therapeutic abortions are permitted only after approval by a psychiatrist or two psychiatrists and a review by abortive doctors. In reality, in those states where abortion can be authorized, psychiatrists often sign the request without bothering to see or interview the applicants, and the review boards are not consulted. One doctor on a review board but never consulted stated that he walked into his hospital one morning to learn that 10 abortions had already been performed. His hospital performs very few abortions as compared to others. University and county hospitals are often chief offenders and are becoming, quote, abortion mills, unquote. Some religious hospitals perform a large number of abortions also. The invention of suction machines, which are quite cheap, have made mass abortions a reality. According to Governor Reagan of California, under the mental health section of the new law in California, quote, Our public health department has told us its projections that if the present rate of increase continues in California, a year from now there will be more abortions than there will be live births in this state, and a great proportion of them will be financed by Medi-Cal, unquote. He said, quote, under a technicality, unquote, a, quote, young unmarried girl, unquote, can become pregnant, go on welfare, and she is automatically eligible for abortion if she wants it under Medi-Cal. And all she has to do is get a psychiatrist, and they're finding that easy to do, who will walk by the bed and say she has suicidal tendencies. Reagan said that in Sacramento, a 15-year-old girl has just had her third abortion, with the same psychiatrist each time saying she has suicidal tendencies. 
I don't think the state should be in that kind of business, unquote. Quote, Reagan sees abortions topping births, unquote. Santa Ana, California, The Register, Friday, April 24, 1970, page D5. According to the American Medical News from May 25, 1970, the Board of Trustees of the American Medical Association has urged a, quote, new abortion policy to permit the decision to be made by the woman and her physician, unquote. This is a return to paganism, to the belief that no sovereign and transcendental God governs man in the universe. It is a pagan belief that the control of life is essentially and finally in the hands of man, or of man's agency, the state. This total control of life by human agencies is a part of the plan of the predestination of man by man. Predestination is an inescapable concept. If we deny that God predestines, we will assert ultimately that man or the state predestines. Whenever belief in God's predestination declines, planning or predestination by the state rapidly takes its place. There is no lack of belief in predestination today, but it is belief in status predestination, in planning and control by statist agencies. We should not be surprised, therefore, at a report from Paris of a UNESCO meeting on the problems of aggressiveness. A U.S. scientist told an international scientific meeting here Tuesday that therapeutic abortions might prevent future Hitlers from being born. Dr. David A. Hamburg of the Psychiatry Department of the Stanford University Medical School told the meeting that research had linked the presence in mothers of abnormally high amounts of testosterone, the male sex hormone, with aggressiveness in their children. While there was not enough knowledge at present to apply these findings practically, Hamburg foresaw that decades from now, a doctor and his patient might choose a therapeutic abortion to prevent the birth of an extremely aggressive individual. The UN Educational Scientific and Cultural Organization, where the meeting was held, mentioned a future Hitler or Kingus Khan as people who might be eliminated in this way. Quote, abortions held way to avoid tyrants, unquote. Los Angeles Times, Wednesday, May 20th, 1970, Part 1, page 9. It is clear that abortions are, first of all, an attempt by man to play God. The widespread approval of abortions by churches reveals that these churches are anti-Christian and are, in fact, humanistic churches. When man plays God, he seeks, first of all, to control life to grant or to take life on his own terms rather than God's. God is the creator of all things, has given mankind his law in Scripture, whereby we are to govern all things under God. Not man's, but God's will is the concern of God's law. It is precisely this power which humanism grasps at by law, to take or to spare life in terms of its own decree. Does God require capital punishment for certain offenses? Very well, then. Will the humanist, being against capital punishment, deny the, quote, right, unquote, to abortion? No. The humanist will establish a, quote, right, unquote, to abortion on his own terms and execute capital punishment on the fetus. Not surprisingly, there is an increase in assassinations and in murder. Men resort to their own will and their own plan and set aside God's law, which is God's declared plan. 
They seek to control life apart from God. Man has made himself the arbiter and God of life, and he decides quite readily, in terms of his own logic, who shall live. Thus, in Colorado, the question of euthanasia, so-called mercy killings, was put to a vote by the Colorado Nursing Association. Quote, Voting in favor of euthanasia, only a third of the nurses favored the idea. After hearing arguments in favor, a majority voted for what only a third had accepted before, unquote. Quote, eliminating the old, unquote, twin circle, June 14, 1970, page 6. More significant than the vote was the attitude of these nurses that euthanasia is an open question, one for man to decide or to vote upon. Today, they vote in favor of killing the aged and the infirm. Will they vote to kill doctors tomorrow, or will the doctors vote to kill all nurses? If men can decide who shall live, whom will they kill? Unwanted children can be aborted, the aged put to sleep, all priests and ministers killed, all communists, Nazis, or conservatives executed, the Jews sentenced to death, or the Germans eliminated, all blacks wiped out, or all whites. All of these are open questions if man can decide who shall live? All of these have become open questions as humanism has developed in the 20th century. Either God's law prevails or man's law. If man's law is accepted, everything is an open question. When man plays God, man himself is the victim. Under God, the doctor is a minister of life, of healing. His profession has had a long and necessary connection with a priestly calling. Under humanism and with abortion, the doctor ceases to be a healer and a protector of life and becomes a murderer. Statute law may permit abortion, but it is still murder not only under God's law, but under common law, as doctors may sometimes find out. Under the influence of humanism, a radical change is taking place in the medical profession. Instead of being a man who regards life as sacrosanct, as wholly governed by God and beyond His province to destroy, the doctor is playing God in most cases. But, because the doctor is not God, he becomes a murderer. The majority of people may favor abortion, but they will still not respect an abortionist. Man, created in God's image, will, even when fallen, reflect to some degree the judgment and law of God. With the increase of abortion, the medical profession will rapidly decline in prestige. As a hated and despised group of murderers, even the women who use them will welcome the total control of doctors by the state. Few will wish them well. Second, as we have noted, abortion represents a hatred of life. This hatred of life manifests itself in a number of ways, from outright suicide to suicidal activities. It is estimated that 250,000 will commit suicide in the 1970s, and another 2 million will try and fail. Quote, 250,000 U.S. suicides predicted during the 70s. Unquote. Los Angeles Times, Sunday, June 7, 1970, Section A, page 21. The use of drugs represents a form of suicide and a hatred of life. Hardin Jones of the University of California has stated that in the U.S., quote, over 100,000 young people 
two and a half times U.S. war deaths in Vietnam, have been killed by drugs. And far more have been converted into mental cripples, unquote. Quote, drug toll, unquote, Twin Circle, May 17, 1970, page 12. A wide variety of suicidal activities are common today. The hatred of God is also the hatred of life. In his novel, The Death of Ivan Illich, Tolstoy tells the story of the death of Ivan Illich, a conscientious official, but a man without faith. As his fatal illness progresses, he begins to hate all people in good health. He hates his wife and children for being so strong, clean, and healthy. Quote, With all the loathing of a diseased body or all cool, white, sweet-smelling flesh. Unquote. Henry Troy at Tolstoy, page 559. Tolstoy's Ivan Illich can serve as a symbol of humanistic mankind and his culture. As it faces death, humanism turns on life with hatred. It pursues a suicidal course of action in every realm and strikes at life with savage and murderous intent. It professes to reverence and affirm life even as it murders it. The drive for legalized abortion is a worldwide manifestation of this hatred of life. Pompously, the legal and medical authorities write in various restrictions on abortion even as they approve it. All is supposedly wisely governed and therapeutic. But in actual practice, the decision is a thumbs down on life, abort, abort, no restrictions in actual practice. Their love of death and hatred of life manifests itself in an increasing abortion rate. With some girls and women, it has become a kind of status symbol of, quote, liberation, unquote. To have secured an abortion, they have proven their freedom from God and their dedication to ecology to preventing a supposed overpopulation. On every level, it is a mark of a dying culture, a hatred of life, and a desire to play God. Indeed, all they that hate God love death, and death shall be their destiny. But we are called life. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushton. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus perfect sacrifice the love he had shown by his pain the very prize it was there at Calvary's tree where he died for you and me and in love he deserves we should
Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.